So, uh, we started Acts before the break, and I, um, I'm actually going to sort of just work through what's left kind of quickly today. Uh, I will probably do another study on the book of Acts later on, but um, it, because we're sort of doing this in survey mode, I, I can really get stuck in the book of Acts, and I could probably spend the rest of the year there. I don't want to do that. So, I'm going um, to just kind of summarize it for you today, the things that I want you to know, and then we're going to jump into Paul's, uh, they're called Paul's epistles next week. I'll do a little introduction to that this week, and we'll spend, oh, 14 weeks or so working through that together, and uh, that will give you a pretty good handle on uh, big chunks of the New Testament. Um, You got a big chunk already with the Gospels and Acts, but uh, this will give you some more of it in the process, and on your notes, one of the things you'll notice is um, I listed a lot of online resources for you. I realized uh, even on the weekends that I've been talking about um, uh, teaching you a Bible reading method I, I use called illuminated reading. And I've said when, when you do that and you pray, Holy Spirit, would you show me something? Uh, show me what you want me to see in your word as I read and things will pop out at you that uh, I've said, you know, think about it, pray about it, talk about it, go and study it, Google it. Well, there's an amazing amount of resource available for free online if you know where to look. And I've listed some of the um, really great resources that are available for you on the top. There was a time when to really study the Word, uh, it would take a, a pretty extensive library. And so many pastors had these it was their main deal with these big libraries of commentaries, and it would be a big thing. Most pastors would have quite a collection. I, I know um, when I first started the ministry, the Internet was not yet, so um, I had started building my own sort of library, and you would these books were expensive, and you would, like, you would want them because they were filled with so much stuff. And now, um, I I don't have any of those books anymore. I gave them all away to people that wanted them because of the space requirements. Everything's on, every every commentary that I ever owned is on my computer and uh, and a wealth of other ones. Uh, And and so I use a um, Bible program that I like, Word. But there's so much free resource out there, you don't don't need to own them anymore. So some of them listed there. You might know some of them, Bible Gateway, just because if you ever search a Bible verse, they usually show up first. And uh, that's just a very good use of search engines. Um, Blue Letter Bible is another great resource. We actually uh, do some courses with them on our um, institute, but they have a tremendous amount of resource available. Bible Hub is another one. ebible.com is really good. biblestudytools.com. biblia.com is the Logos uh, sort of free version, and it's, uh, it's wonderful. studylight.org, uh, bible.org. GotQuestions.org is a great uh, resource. If you, if you have a sort of a question on something, you can type it in at GotQuestions, and they usually have somebody that's written about it. That's pretty good. You know, with, with everything, take it that there's, there's different points of view on this stuff, but uh, it will give you some insight into what's happening. And I want to encourage you, as we study uh, the New Testament together, and especially in you know, Acts now, if I'm not going through it, you can pick up a lot of resource just by going and visiting those places and doing that sort of stuff on our um, on the weekend messages uh, as part of the lesson what I've done is I'm adding four or five pages of commentary not my commentary 
a commentary to that, that I would encourage you to read as part of that course. It won't take five or ten minutes. And um, I'm using commentaries that are available in the public domain, so I don't have to worry about stepping on anybody's copyright toes. So uh, there's a lot of great stuff available, and I would just encourage you to embrace it. It's amazing what's available to us now. The, uh, y- you know, I've always said that one of the things we want to, if somebody, um, if somebody from 50 years ago or 100 years ago could visit us now and, and uh, they could find out that we have a, a device that we can carry around with it that ultimately has all the information, known information of the universe is available here on this device and mostly we use it to watch cat videos that <laughs> they would be a little shocked at our use of that. So it's there. It's fascinating. You know, in, embrace it, read it, do those things. It's really important in the process. So hopefully that will help. All right. So now as we move into the book of Acts, um, we've met most of the characters already. I want to talk about a few more today uh, that will help you as you read. One of them is the Apostle Paul. And we've been uh, on our weekend series, we happen to be talking about Paul. And someone was asking me the other day about Paul's age. Because, you know, I said that um, he was writing the letter that we're looking at to the Galatians in 4550 AD, and they thought he must have been really old by that time. But I, I said, I don't believe so. I believe he was actually quite young uh, when he was persecuting the church, when that first started before he got saved. And um, uh, we believe that he was b- born AD uh, 1 through 5, somewhere in there. So he would have been 25 or 30 at the crucifixion and shortly thereafter he was brought into the kingdom and he was writing the the books in 45 or 50 so he would have been 40 45 50 because somebody was saying they thought he would be much older and they didn't live that long then but he would have been right about right in writing those books uh he was actually born in turkey and uh he was of a benjamite lineage and hebrew ancestry Uh, He was uh, sent to Palestine to learn from a rabbi named Gamaliel. And uh, uh, so Saul, back then he was Saul. He learned uh, Jewish history, um, the Psalms, and all the works uh, of the prophets. Very zealous for his faith, and he was known that way. Uh, It was a very legalistic faith. And ultimately it caused him to be one who really persecuted the church. Um, in Acts 7, you'll see that he's um, present for the stoning and the death. Uh, and he was actually holding the garments of those who were doing the stoning of Stephen the martyr. Uh, if you've never read the story of Stephen being stoned and, and spent any time with that, you should. In Acts chapter 7, it's fascinating. And actually, he, uh, Stephen uh, sort of recounts the, the Jewish history in that chapter. So Luke writes in there this, this whole story and what's going on in the process. In Acts 8, Paul starts ravaging the church, the Bible says, and he's going from house to house and he's dragging off all the men and women that are Christians and he's having them put into prison. So this is, he's persecuting the church vehemently, which is interesting because a short time later, after he gets saved, this same church has to trust him in their midst. If you think about it, you know, they were probably wondering, is he just sort of playing some sort of game with us, going to figure out who we all are and take us away? But no, 
He has a, a radical conversion experience in Acts chapter 9. Uh, and he meets Jesus, resurrected Jesus, on the road to Damascus, uh, which is about a 150-mile journey he was on. And, and uh, Saul, because of his uh, legalism, was just furious with the church. Uh, he was filled with rage. And uh, he had uh, asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, um, asking for permission to bring any Christians that he found back to Jerusalem to toss them in prison. So that's the mission he was on when he encounters Jesus uh, in a very significant way, caught up in a bright light from heaven. Uh, He fell face down on the ground, and he hears the words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That that would get your attention. And he says, who are you, Lord? And uh, Jesus answers, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. So that pretty much got Saul uh, moving in the right track. And uh, he becomes known over the next couple of chapters as not only longer Saul, he's Paul uh, in Acts 13.9. He spent time in Arabia, Damascus, Jerusalem, Syria, um, back in his native uh, Cilicia. And Barnabas enlists him to help teach those at the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. Interestingly, um, the, the Christians that were driven out of Palestine by Saul or Paul were the very ones who founded the church um, there in Antioch. So Paul gets radically saved. Uh, he, he immediately, uh, after he's, he, he's blinded for a while, but God sends a prophet and he's healed. Uh, he immediately goes and begins to preach Jesus. Uh, he's, he's incredibly effective immediately. Um, and then he, he goes to Jerusalem fairly quickly there and actually, he's so effective in Jerusalem for a while, he's, the, the heat is getting so hot on the church that they actually ask him, the other believers there, to go away for a little while and let things calm down. And he does, and he's actually sort of out of the scene for about 10 years, where we think he was just studying and spending time. And obviously, Paul was very busy. He would have been doing some things. But then Barnabas goes and gets him because there's a need in Antioch and for that church he goes and gets Paul. Paul comes and teaches in Antioch. That church just fires up like amazing. And then they begin to send out um, Paul uh, and Barnabas initially on missionary journeys. And that's how the church spreads. So wherever they go, they plant churches. And a fascinating church method, really. They'll go uh, into a synagogue in a town. They'll begin to preach. And uh, the, Jesus and anybody that responds, they would spend more time with. Uh, ultimately... They would get a group established, and they would, uh, after the synagogue would kick them out, which would happen in short order, they would get a, <laughs> they would get a church established. They would pray about, uh, you know, who would it look like that would lead these churches because there wasn't established leaders, uh, but people that receptive, they'd put them in charge, and uh, they would tell them, now teach what you've learned. And so they would have the basics. They'd have the gospel, and they would begin to share the gospel those churches would flourish. Paul would either eventually go back and visit and straighten things out, or he would send Timothy or Titus or one of his guys out to go and fix it. So when you're looking at the letters that Paul writes, mostly you have to know he's writing back to those churches that he started, and he's addressing issues that have arisen. And uh, by that, we're able to really sort of figure out a lot of what the church looks like. We don't have um, a model previous to that um, because the church is new. Uh, well, it's 2,000 years old now, but at the time, it was a new deal. It was different than synagogue. It was different than 
um, the Old Testament way of doing things, and people had a lot of questions. And then so Paul would address them and sort of help them on the journey. So um, Paul writes uh, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians, Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. So there's those thirteen that he wrote for sure, and uh, and and so we'll be looking at those as we start that next course. Um, for a long time, it was believed that he also wrote Hebrews, but. Uh, um, most theologians believe that we don't know who wrote Hebrews any longer. They don't think it was Paul just because of the style of the writing and some of those other things. So um, uh, we're not sure. We know it's part of the inspired canon. We know it's awesome. One of my favorite books is Hebrews. But uh, probably not Paul that wrote that. And uh, Paul spent his life proclaiming the risen Christ throughout the Roman world um, at great personal peril most of his life. And uh, he died a martyr's death, they believe, in the mid to late 60s A.D. in Rome. So, um, so that's sort of what Paul was up to. So as you read through, um, the, so Acts is kind of what happened initially um, with the coming of the Holy Spirit and those things and, and uh, what the whole church was doing in Jerusalem. And then it sort of shifts into what Peter was up to, excellent reading, and Peter's uh, initial ministry to the Gentiles and everything else he did. And then... It ends up being about Paul uh, and his missionary journeys and the people that were with him on the process. Another thing you need to see is that um, God, throughout the book of Acts, was using visions. He's, he's done that throughout history. Uh, he would give people visions. Um, in Acts 9.10, Ananias uh, was the guy who God sent to go pray for Paul, Saul, after he was uh, blinded. And uh, it took a vision to, <laughs> to get him to go. This was the guy that was trying to kill all the Christians, basically. And uh, God says to Ananias, you, you need to go and pray for Paul. And he's like, uh-uh. <laughs> you know what that guy's up to, right? And, and, and so he has a vision that he needs to go. And he follows the leading. And Paul regains his sight. And, uh, and then he finds out the truth about the church in the process. And instead of fighting against it. He becomes one of its greatest heroes um, ever. So it was a vision that happened that. Cornelius in Acts 10 uh, has a vision. Uh, God spoke to uh, this uh, Roman centurion. Um, he, he was uh, what was known as a God-fearer. So in the synagogues, there would be Jewish believers, and then there would be an area where they would allow God-fearers. That would be Gentiles who believed in the Hebrew God. And um, so Cornelius was one of them. Uh, in this vision that he has in Acts 10, you should read it, Cornelius sees an angel who tells him where to find Simon Peter and to send for him and listen to his message. Cornelius obeys, sends someone to go get him. Peter comes and preaches. And Cornelius and his household, all, a Gentile household, were all saved by the grace of God. That's a huge deal because it's... Uh, it's the first time we see the Gentiles being included. We, we know prophetically that it was going to happen, and, and yet we start to see it, and it's pretty important that it was with Peter and the things that were going on. That would be Paul's pretty much entire ministry. Although when, whenever Paul would go into a town, he would always start with the Jewish folks. He would try and win them first, and then when they would have enough of him, he would go to everybody else. 
Uh, in Acts 10, 9 through 15, Peter, uh, also God uses a vision with Peter. He's praying on the rooftop of a house, and God gives him a vision of animals lowered in something like a sheet. And a voice from heaven told Peter to kill the animals, some of which were unclean, and eat them. Um, and the vision served to show that, that Christians were not bound by the kosher law that God had, um, uh, God had pronounced, in effect, Gentiles clean in that vision, and that heaven is open to all who follow him. So um, this, uh, this vision that Peter has really clears the way for him saying yes to going to the Gentile house um, of Cornelius. Or he, he, it just didn't happen. They didn't associate that way. This was a huge deal that God set all this up in the process and uh, would be a big deal in the early church. Paul has lots of visions um, throughout his missionary career. Uh, One of them sent him to preach in Macedonia. Uh, Another, the vision that he had kept him preaching in Corinth. That's uh, the Macedonian vision is Acts 16, Acts 18, keeps him in Corinth. God gives him a vision of heaven. We'll find out later on in 2 Corinthians 12. 1 through 6, and um, he, he's not sure. He doesn't tell much in the vision because he says that it was so, so amazing I can't really talk about it much. But he got, a, he got a vision of heaven. That's 2 Corinthians 12. We'll probably look at that when we get into the epistles of what's happening. I often think, you know, that this, this may not have been when it happened, but there's a time when Paul is uh, stoned, uh, not, not the way you're thinking, with rocks, and... Uh, And they, they think they've killed him, and they drag him outside the city dead. And it's, it's possible that um, th- that's when he got to see heaven and stuff. I, I've often felt that they, they probably did, and then wasn't finished yet. God brings him back, and off he goes. And uh, when, you, when you read that, you'll like that story, because they, they, they stone him to death, drag him out of town, and Paul comes, gets back up, and goes right back into town and preaches some more. I love that about Paul. Because I think if you threw rocks at me and asked me to go, I'd probably just go. <laughs> That's me. I don't know about you, but okay. They're throwing rocks. I'm going to go somewhere else. Barnabas is another person you need to see in the Scripture. Um, his nickname uh, uh, was uh, Son of Encouragement is what it means. And... Uh, because that wasn't his actual name, Barnabas. So uh, they called him Barnabas, though, and that's how he's known throughout the Scripture. Son of encouragement, son of exhortation. Uh, he was just a good guy. He liked to help people and serve people, and he was used by God in a lot of ways, and he would go, and God would use him to, like, the church in Antioch. You know, Barnabas was there, but he knew that Paul was a great teacher, and so he went and got him to bless the church, and he went with Paul on these journeys for quite some time. Um, the Scripture refers to him as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And whenever you get those sort of uh, references in the Bible, that's a good dude and uh, very important. And, uh, and so he, he, was, uh, he plays a big part throughout the book of Acts in the early church, Barnabas, and the whole idea of encouragement. One of the things that we talk about here all the time, we've done a lot of series on, is something I call the ministry of encouragement. And that, like Barnabas, we're supposed to be people that encourage um, the world is full of discouragement, and we're to bring encouragement into the world, not double down on the discouragement there. And if we're not careful, we get pulled into the discouragement, and we just 
push it back on everybody else. So you have to be careful that you, you understand you don't need to do that. I, I often share the story of how back in, uh, it was 2008, I was, um, I was sort of fixated on cable news, and I just had it on in the background all the time, it was background noise. But I realized it was really impacting me in the way that I was thinking about things. And I was getting irritable all the time about anything. And I just felt like, you know, the Lord sort of said to me, you're just letting too much stuff in that you don't need. And so I just shut it down. And I, I don't, I, I, I know, um, I get news headlines from, from the internet, but I'll read headlines. I don't need people's opinions on the headlines because they, if they're crafty. And they, uh, they still do to this day, just pull people in. And I would say that they're always discouraging. And, and no matter which sort of way you look at it, they, the, they, their whole deal is to keep you engrossed by making you angry and fearful. And they get you hooked in, and then they just start spinning everything in ways so that they're just... And, and it, it will take you right out of sort of a productive, healthy, enjoyable life. I know the world's a mess. That's why we have a mission, because um, the world's broken. It's, it's broken since the fall. Uh, it continues in a bad direction, uh, and yet God is God and full of grace and mercy and has a great plan, and I see amazing things happen, and so we just need to make sure that we don't get pulled into that. So I said all that because Paul Barnabas is my reminder to be an encourager. And you, you can't be an encourager if you're, if you're caught in the discouragement of everybody else. So, very important. Uh, and there's some neat stuff that happens. Um, Barnabas goes with Paul on his missionary journeys. And on one of these journeys, John Mark, um, he, he goes um, as an assistant. And during that first mission trip, John Mark uh, leaves them and doesn't complete the journey. And uh, Paul is not very happy about that. And when the second journey comes up, Barnabas says, let's take my cousin again. And Paul's like, no way. Is he coming with us because he left us? And so Paul and Barnabas split up. Paul takes Silas and goes in one direction. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes in another direction. God used it. And ultimately, they get reconciled. And towards the end of Paul's life, he actually asked for John Mark. He said, send me John Mark. I need him. And I love that story of restoration and how God uses things, and that things happen, and it's all part of the deal in the process. So you'll read about that. Um, another group that pops up, and we're reading about them on our weekend series as well, uh, and they were a big detriment to the early church. They're known as the Judaizers. And this is a group of believers who they, they would go into these new churches that Paul started, and they would try and put the law on them. And they would say that what they had wasn't enough. We're talking about that on the weekends. And, and so um, what they would do is they would go in, uh, a, a Judaizer means to live according to Jewish customs. And so there was a big discussion, well, did they need to become Jews before they can become Christians? Um, or, you know, are, is this possible what this is going to look like? Do we put them under the Mosaic law? Do we require them to be circumcised uh, in order to be saved? These were huge issues uh, for the early church and what was going on. And in Acts 15, it gets dealt with at, uh, at the council, the Jerusalem council. And uh, there at this council, there's a group of these Judaizers who are opposing Paul and Barnabas for their ministry to the Gentiles. 
And uh, that, that's the big questions. Do Gentiles have to become Jews before they can become Christians? And do Gentiles have to observe the Mosaic law after they become Christians? And the Apostle Peter steps up and tells everybody what happened with Cornelius. And he says, look, we prayed. They got saved just like we got saved. And they hadn't done anything yet. So I don't think that stuff applies to them, which is what Paul had been saying because the Holy Spirit fell um, there in the house of Cornelius just like it had at Pentecost. And Peter's saying there, there wasn't any requirements happening. Uh, and so um, they decide at that point in time, Peter and James, the half-brother of Jesus who has risen to prominence in the church in Jerusalem, uh, he's become the, the leader. He says in Acts 15, 19, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And then there's four rules that they ask the Gentile Christians to live by. Um, now, note that these rules were not salvation rules. had nothing to do with them being saved. They were asking them to observe four things so there could be some unity between the Gentiles and the Jews in the church. And they, these four, they should abstain from food, polluted by idols, sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and blood. And so they asked the Christians to stay away from those things, which they were happy to do. And that was to promote peace and unity in the church, but not salvation. They didn't put any extra stuff on them to be saved. And that's very important. And then lastly, because I'm getting... I said I can go a long time just talking about stuff. Timothy, uh, Timothy, you'll read about in the book of Acts, and God um, uses him mightily, and Paul would send him back to churches to check on them. And um, we're going to read about Timothy. There's two letters that Paul wrote directly to Timothy that we pick up on here in this next course when we get started next week. I'm finishing it there. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. And uh, God bless you. Stay in tune. If you're just watching online, you want to start getting credit at our institute, um, go register as a student, and we'll make that happen. All right. Bye.